Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live, featuring Dr. David Wilson, we continue our new study called Fail, a series on the epic failures of the Bible. Arguably, the best-remembered figure from the book of Judges is Samson, who went from showing great potential to being a colossal failure. This Nazarite leader, one whose life was meant to be marked by self-denial and sanctification, suffered serious consequences from his poor choices. Open your Bible to Judges chapter 16 as we learn more about the lure of a seductive society from Pastor David Wilson. If you have your Bibles open to Judges chapter 16, we're in a short series and called Epic Failures. We've looked at Achan and talked about secret sin and how it does affect other people. We looked at Ahab and found out that there is absolute truth. You don't judge the truth by how it makes you feel. And today we're going to look at a third that I've called the lure of a seductive society. We're going to talk about Samson. Now, in a couple of more weeks, we're going to begin a study through the most neglected book in the, in the New Testament, 2 Peter. It's the last book that was added to the New Testament, but it's one of the most neglected books in all the Bible and yet has some of the richest truth in it, and we're going to study that together. I look forward to that. We'll begin that the second Sunday in September, but we've still got a couple of failures to talk about before we get there. If you have your Bibles open to Judges chapter 16, I want to read a couple of verses in different places, so would you stand while I read God's Word? Verse 4. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Shorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means he may overpower him, that he may bind him to afflict him. Uh, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And then if you'll go down to verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times. You've told me you've, and have to not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, and she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know. He did not know 
that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with the bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we pray that today you would speak to our hearts, that you would draw us closer to you, and that you'd help us understand that even little compromises can bring great harm and destruction. So I pray for Christians today who may be on the wrong path, and I pray, Father, that you would help those who don't know Christ to come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A large resort area had a lot of hotels and um, things like that. It was used by a Christian denomination for its church conference. And the conference theme was, or motto was, there are no problems, only opportunities. There are no problems, only opportunities. Well, a male guest came down to the desk hotel and he said, I've got a problem. And the desk clerk said, no, sir, no, sir, no, sir. Here, we do not have problems, only opportunities. And he said, well, you can call it what you like, but the room you assigned to me already has a woman in it. (laughs) You may have remembered Grady Nutt. Some of you did not know Grady Nutt. He was kind of in my generation, but he was a Christian comedian and he was a nut. He was appropriately named He was ordained when he was 13 years old and by a Baptist church. And he he said that even at that tender age, at the age of 13, he learned quickly that Baptists believe in keeping teenagers in church under the theory that if they were in church, they wouldn't be out in the world somewhere learning about sin. So Grady Nutt said, we had to learn about sin in church from the experts. Judges is an interesting book. It has seven cycles in it. The cycles go something like this. Israel turns its back on God. And they began to worship the idols and the surrounding nations. And so God allows the surrounding nation to overtake Israel. And now they're under the oppression of a neighboring country for years, and they begin to get miserable about it, and they cry out to God, asking God for for forgiveness, asking him to deliver them from the enemy, and God raises up a judge. The judge delivers them, and there's great peace for a while until the judge dies or another generation comes up, and then the cycle begins again. They turn from God, they follow idols, they're under uh, dominion from the neighboring countries and so forth. Seven of those cycles in the book of Judges, Samson appears in the seventh one, the last one, because then you're going to enter the period of the kings. I see Samson as a man who had great potential, but was lured or seduced, I guess you would say, by the culture around him. 
The word seduction comes from the Latin word seducere, which, which literally means to lead away. And it's a negative word because it means to take away from something that is good and upright and be led to something that is base and vile and sinful. Not only does it mean to be led away, but it means to be led astray. Well, you find what's going on here with Samson because he gets so accustomed to the culture. And I want to share several truths with you. The first one is this. Society can blind you. Now, what am I talking about? Samson was called to be the judge of Israel to deliver them from the Philistines. And during the period of the judges, all of those cycles I was telling you I told you that they cried out to the Lord at the end of that to be delivered, except for here. Here in this seventh cycle, they've gotten so accustomed to the Philistine culture that they just sort of coexist with them. And you don't find him crying out to the Lord. Now, God still sends Samson to deliver them, but it seems like the people that... They've just sort of gotten used to the Philistines. R.C. Sproul put it this way. He said, unlike previous invaders, the Philistines were cultured and not terribly oppressive. Thus, Israel relaxed under their dominion and did not cry out to the Lord. You and I are in that danger. Our society has so many enticements and allurements and so many distractions that we can easily just sort of coexist and get comfortable with the culture that is opposite and opposed to God. And a lot of that's happening today. By the way, I want to throw a little footnote in here. This is free. It comes with the admission today. (laughs) Philistines comes from the word, the Greek word, Palestinia. They came from the Gaza area. They were sea people. The Philistines were. They were enemies of Israel for 2,000 years. Sometimes they were coexisting. Sometimes they were oppressive and so forth. When Rome conquered Jerusalem in AD 70 and then the years afterwards when Jerusalem was destroyed and the land was destroyed and the Jews were scattered until 1948 when they became a nation again, Rome Rome named that territory to spite the Jews. They hated the Jews so much they named it Palestinia. Rome gave the name Palestine to that area. And you need to understand that. That's, that's Israel. That's God's. God didn't name it Palestine. The Romans named it back in the first century or the second century, I guess you would say. Anyway, I just thought you'd want to know that. So when you hear all this stuff on television, on the news about the Palestine, Palestinians on this land, they didn't own that land. They didn't have any right to the land, but that's, that's a whole nother day. I'll stop right there. Several things I want you to notice. First of all, from Samson, when we're thinking about him, he goes from great potential to colossal failure. You already knew that. You already know the account of him. But the people of Israel had settled down to a peaceful coexistence with the Philistines. And Samson was to be God's instrument to deliver them from this. Henceforth, God said to his mom, Samson will be a Nazarite. There's a difference between a Nazarite and a Nazarene. 
A Nazarene is somebody who lives in or close to Nazareth. Jesus was a Nazarene, but Jesus was not a Nazarite. Because a Nazarite in the Old Testament was somebody who was set apart for service to God. The Mosaic Covenant allowed for a Nazarite or a Jew to set himself aside for a part, for a, uh, a purpose, a particular time. The, the Hebrew word is Nazar, which means to separate or to cut off. So a Nazarite would be separated from the people, so to speak to serve God. And there would be some visible signs of that separation. Now, in the New Testament, we, have, we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We're, we're justified, we're forgiven, but we're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Sanctification means to be set apart to serve God. So Christians from the culture We're not Nazarites, but we're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We're still set apart. The Nazarite was a picture of the New Testament sanctification or being set apart to serve God. Does that make sense? Some of you. So God's call to Samson was to be set apart, but now I want you to look at God's call to Samson because there were three conditions that a Nazarite had to observe. And you're going to see the same picture in the New Testament to a certain extent. You see, the first thing a Nazarite had to do was in regard to self-denial. A Nazarite could not partake of any wine or the fruit of the vine, any grapes or anything like that. Why? Why would that be a picture of self-denial? Because people in that day drank wine for self-pleasure. And it was a way of saying, I'm going to deny myself. People drink to please themselves. And self-denial is the first prerequisite to be used by God. We're not to derive our joy in life and our sense of well-being from any other natural source. The joy of the Lord now as a believer in Christ is from the Holy Spirit. So we are denying ourselves in many ways as New Testament Christians, as believers, There are certain things that we deny ourselves of because it's not in keeping with what God would want us to do. But the the, the picture here of no wine was self-denial. The second thing was uh, separation. He grew his hair long. Well, that's no big deal today. A lot of people have long hair. In my day, my generation, a lot of people, a lot of men especially had long hair. But in this particular case, it was longer than normal. It was longer than the acceptable length of a woman's hair. And so it was a sign in that time of weakness. That culture looked at it, especially if you had hair longer than a woman's hair. So he had extra long hair. It was a sign of weakness. And yet, isn't it interesting that Samson, one of the strongest men that ever lived, but the, but the, but the, the uh, idea here is that a Nazarite would put himself under that condition in order to indicate his weakness and his strength would grow out of that weakness. Of course, he had faith in God. We know that his strength came from God. It would say the spirit of the Lord came upon him. But in our day, as believers in Christ... We are separate from the world. We live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. We don't have to grow our hair long. Aren't you glad? Some of you would be real in, in real trouble if you had to grow your hair long. 
And some of us would look really bad if we grew our hair long. Trust me. I look back on some of my teenage days and go, what was I thinking? That was the problem. I wasn't thinking. (laughs) So separation. The third part of this Nazarite vow was sanctification. No contact with a dead body at all. Could touch nothing dead. What's the correlation from that in the New Testament? When you repented of your sin, you died to self. In fact, Paul puts it this way. You have died, spiritually speaking, and your life, your new life is hidden with Christ in God. And we're not to go back and to try to resurrect the old way of life. So here's a picture, have nothing to do with death or the dead body. In the New Testament, we think of it as sanctification. We're set apart, we are separate, and we're not to resurrect the old way of life. And as we read the account of his life, several times we find the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Judges 14, 6, verse 19, Judges 15, 14. And it tells us where his real strength came from. It wasn't his hair. The hair on his head was just a symbol, an outward symbol of his consecration to God and his strength. But his source of strength was from God. E. Stanley, excuse me, James Jordan said it this way. There's no magical tie between Samson's strength and his hair. But there was a spiritual connection in that God gives strength to those who are dedicated to him. And in Samson's case, his dedicated head was the sign of his separation to God. And God used Samson in a lot of ways. I mean, Samson had incredible strength. He killed a lion with his bare hands. He fought off and killed a thousand, a thousand, Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. He ripped the gates of Gaza, the Philistine city, ripped the iron gates out of the wall. These are big gates and carried them to back to Hebron, 30 miles uphill both ways. No, I don't know about both ways, but, but he carried him uphill and planted them there. He was an incredible strength. But you know what? There were some things that were not right with Samson. He began to compromise and he began, his compromise began when he wanted to marry the wrong woman. Three things that were wrong about that relationship. You don't have to read it yourself. He saw a beautiful Philistine woman. He was attracted to her. Basically, he looked at her and said, I'm in love. That's not true. He didn't really care about her. He just saw her as an object. Isn't it amazing how people today, we're drawn to each other by looks many times, But it's much deeper than a relationship is much deeper than your looks. Because I have news for you. If you hadn't noticed by now, looks don't last long. (laughs) At least not your youth looks. 
You begin to see things in the mirror that you never dreamed possible. But she was an object to be used and to be possessed. There was no recognition by him that she was a person of needs, of worth, and value. The second thing is that Samson also knew what God's law said. God told the Israelites, do not intermarry with a pagan person. Had nothing to do with race. Had everything to do with religion. God knew that if a Jew married a person, a, a woman, for example, who was a pagan, had all these idols, he would be miserable because she'd have all her idols in the house. And she would be miserable because he would be following God. And so God's commanded that they were not to intermarry with unbelievers. Listen to me, young people. Listen to me, single people. You in the venue, you on television, you online. I see this broken so many times today. And they wonder why they have such trouble. Listen, when you find a man that you think is handsome, or you see a woman that you think is beautiful, obviously there's an attraction there. But the very next question ought to be, Do they follow Jesus? Because if they don't, you need to keep on going until they follow Jesus. Folks, let me tell you something. I I have people say, you know, who are you dating and who are you following and so forth? And and they'll tell me, I say, well, do you know if they're Christian? Well, you know, we don't really ever talk about that. Why do you go right back into trouble? Listen, it's just trouble. You're asking for it. The third thing Samson did, he disobeyed his parents. Because his parents were there saying, look, Samson, God says not to marry this Philistine woman. She doesn't believe in God. She doesn't believe in Yahweh. Do not marry her. And yet he violated that. And yet he had the scripture that says, honor and obey your parents so that you might live long in the land which the Lord had given to them. And young people, let me tell you something. You may think you're grown up and can make your own decisions, but your parents are smarter than you give them credit for. And sometimes they can discern things that are not right. But here's the truth I want you to get. It's a truth that you find all through Scripture, and I'm going to express it this way. If there's any area of your life where you are resisting the Lordship of Christ, Him being in control of that area, and if you continue to resist you're going to discover that in other areas of your life, you will begin to fall under the dominion of the flesh. You compromise in one area and you keep on compromising and keep on compromising. It's going to get easier to compromise in this area and in this area and this area. And you're going to find yourself falling under the dominion of the flesh. You see, Samson's life is a clear principle, a clear illustration of this principle. He had one weakness. He was a slave to his passion. One man put it this way. He was a he-man with a she-weakness. And I want to tell you that a lot of men with that problem today. 
E. Stanley Jones told in a story about visiting a Hindu ascetic, a Hindu who had gone off in a cave and for lived for many years thinking that if they isolate themselves in the forest in the cave, then, then there won't be any temptation and he's going to spend all his time in spiritual meditation. So after 40 years, he goes up to visit this Hindu ascetic and when he introduces himself, Stanley Jones does, the first thing this Hindu ascetic says to him is, I haven't thought about a woman for 40 years. Isn't that interesting? The very first statement out of your mouth. Most people want to be delivered from temptation, but also want to keep in touch with it. Society can blind you. The next thing, sin will bind you. The lust of the eyes can sink you. All right, here comes Delilah. You all know about Delilah. You, what you don't, you may not know is that we don't know if Delilah was a Philistine or an apostate Jew. We don't know. We're going to assume she was a Philistine because she sided with them. And the, the Philistine leaders knew that Samson had a weakness for people like Delilah. And so they came to her and said, we'll give you 1,100 pieces of silver each of us will if you'll find the reason for his strength or how he can be defeated. What I want you to understand is that you're a child of God. You never let down your guard. You need to understand that the enemy seeks, seeking whom he may devour. We know that in 1 Peter. We know that the enemy never lets up. You are a target. You don't have to be afraid. But you need to understand that just because you've been a Christian a long time does not mean that you won't have somebody attack at time to time. Reminds me of a cowboy who decided he needed some insurance. And so an insurance agent came out to his ranch and, and was interviewing him on some questions. And he said, have you ever had any accidents? The cowboy said, no, can't think of any. And the agent said, are, are you saying you've never been hurt out here on the ranch? The cowboy thought for a minute. He said, no. He said, a bronco kicked me in the ribs last summer. And a couple of years ago, a rattlesnake bit me on the ankle. The agent said, you don't call those accidents? He said, no, they did it on purpose. <laughs> Satan's going to do it on purpose. You're a target. You need to be looking. You see, temptation is always around us. Temptation would not be temptation if it did not look enticing. You know, if temptation looked horrible, you wouldn't be tempted. And most people, when we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, we're not saying that God leads you into temptation. What you're saying is, God, if the temptation comes, please give me the desire not to fall into that. And if I have the desire, don't give me the opportunity. Don't, don't allow me to fall into this, God. Protect me from that. Now, some people sometimes will come around and say, Lord, I, I want you to deliver me. I'm sorry because of their, their, their uh, falling into the consequences of their sin. You can choose your sin, but you can't choose all the consequences that are going to happen. Three times Delilah asked Samson to reveal the source of his strength. Three times Samson gave her a false answer. Three times the Philistines rushed in to take him. They were overpowered by him. God coming to help. But except this time God wasn't coming to help because none of those times does it say the spirit of the Lord came upon him. 
In fact, in verse 20, it says he did not know that the spirit had departed from him. She pestered him to the point of beyond his ability to endure. And he finally told her, if you cut my hair, I will lose my strength. And when he fell asleep, he cut the long, she cut the long locks of his hair. Philistines moved in, overpowered him, gouged out his eyes and led him away. Have you ever wondered why, why did Samson not see what she was trying to do? I mean, she asked three times, and each time the Philistines showed up. And you ever wondered why, Samson? Why he kept answering her? Was he just stupid? You ever wondered why? Well, you tell me how many times you've been burned by sin, and you keep going right back to it. And I'll tell you why Samson kept going back to Delilah. Samson's very fitting and appropriate picture of the church today. We've been called to influence our culture. Did you know we're supposed to be the change agents of the culture? Did y'all know that? Would you say amen to that? We're supposed to be the salt and the light We're supposed to be the preservative in a society to keep it from decaying to the point of of being so far away from God. We're supposed to be the salt. We're supposed to be the light that shows people to Christ. We're supposed to change the culture. The problem is we live in a culture that has its own agenda. It's got its own preachers. It's got its own doctrine. And it is aggressively dedicated to resisting our message and spreading its own. And so the culture begins to come into the church. And people begin to say, I just need to be happy. People don't notice me. What's right for you may not be right for me. What's wrong for you may not be wrong for me. There's no absolute truth. It's, I want to grab all of that. I want to live for the moment. There's no such thing about the future. And how many Christians today are living that way. They don't think down the road. They're not thinking about anything for the moment. Or they think, well, you know what? God's not as upset about sin as he used to. I think I can compromise now because I am under grace after all. But I want to tell you something. Sin will bind you. And the culture's message brazenly contradicts the teachings of the word of God. And the word of God is the power of Christianity. And when we allow ourselves to be seductively carried away, we're going to find ourselves robbed and bound. The third thing is sin will grind you. The price of sin is extremely high. Ask a lot of people around you who have violated, flagrantly violated what God said. And they get out here and go, how did I get out here? They gouged Samson's eyes out, had him grinding in the mill. You know why they put him behind the grinder? One of the Philistine gods was Dagon. Dagon was the god of grain. 
And so with Samson grinding the grain, basically they were saying, our God, Dagon, has defeated the God of Israel and his mighty warrior. And here Samson is out grinding, he's pushing, he's blinded now, and he's grinding the grain. How did he lose his strength? How did he get in such a mess? Because he got, began to compromise and he began to be seduced by the Philistine culture. I don't know what his epitaph said on his tombstone, but he could have easily said, seduced by a culture that was opposed to his God. Now, is there any positive news in this? Yes, there is. Stay with me for just a moment. Because repentance will unbind you. It's kind of a silly way to say it, but your spiritual hair can grow back. You read about what happened. While Samson's grinding, obviously, he began to regret everything that had ever happened. He began to repent. And if you read in the last part of this chapter, you'll find that the Philistines gathered together, beginning in verse 23, to sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry, they said, call for Samson that he might perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them and they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, oh Lord God, Remember me, I pray. Amen. Remember me, I pray. Strengthen me. I pray just this once, O oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple. He braced himself against them, one on his right and on the other, his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. But I want to tell you, this isn't the end of the story. Because you think, you know, here was a man who had so much potential and he just blew it. But I don't have time to go there, but if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Hebrews chapter 11, we call the great heroes of the faith. I mean, there's a lot of big names there. And in verse 32, guess whose name is there? Samson. You see, God forgave him. And Samson's faith was back in God. Of course, he lost his life in the process. But here's what I want you to see, that God hasn't given up on you. If you're headed in a direction you know is wrong, stop and turn around. Say, Lord, 
You need to help me here. I'm in the wrong kind of relationship. I'm headed down the wrong path. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I feel this way and so forth. You need to stop because God hadn't given up on you. God still loves you. God will forgive you. And you haven't gone too far. When I say your spiritual hair grows back, the child of God may be seduced by the culture, but if you come back, the Lord will renew you and forgive you. That's why I mentioned that he's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. No one is too far gone. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, let me tell you, God said, if you'll turn from your sin in repentance, that means change your mind about it. And ask God to forgive you, he will. And then if you believe that Jesus, the only sinless man who ever lived, the God-man, died on a cross, God put our sin on him. We just remembered that. He died. That's the atonement he paid the price. For the wages of sin is death. He died. But the gift of God is eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you place your faith and trust in Christ, he not only forgives you of your sin, but puts his spirit to live in you and gives you power and strength and guidance. Now, can you tell the Holy Spirit no? Yeah. You can, and can you try to resurrect some of that dead stuff? Yeah, you can, but you shouldn't because you have a new nature in you. You've been set apart to serve him, and if you're a child of God, you see, we first, we begin in our temptations, we first begin to talk like the world. We start to sort of get crude, and we start talking like the world. The next thing you know, we start acting like the world. The next thing you know, we feel like it's okay and they can't, the world can't tell the difference between us and them. Listen, listen, folks. It's not too late to stop doing wherever it is you're headed, the wrong path. And if you aren't headed in the wrong path, then don't let your guard down because Satan's gonna try to do something on purpose. Make you compromise. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Thank you for this week's lesson, Pastor David. Samson learned some heartrending lessons that sin will bind you and grind you. Samson discovered that the lust of the eyes can sink you and that the price of sin is so extremely high. In the end, however, Samson also found that God is faithful and that repentance will unbind you, that you can experience forgiveness and spiritual renewal. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.